Hello everybody and welcome to our next episode of Safeguarding News. The whole purpose of this episode is to have a chat with the Safeguarding Advisory Panel about what's been going on in the safeguarding world, how it impacts us and maybe some ideas about how we can tackle them. Today I'm joined by Luke Ramsden and Jan Pickle. So Luke, can you introduce yourself please? Hello, I'm Luke Ramsden. I'm on the advisory panel for the Safeguarding Committee and I'm deputy head at a school, a day school in West London and safeguarding lead as well. Wonderful, thank you. Jan, can you introduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm Jan Pickles and I work as a freelancer, but for many years ran domestic abuse units, multi-agency units across um, across the UK. And I now undertake reviews into serious case reviews and child death reviews and domestic homicide reviews. I also have been involved in some of the um, historic child sexual abuse reviews in some of our leading schools. That's wonderful. Thank you very much. And the highlights of today's episode are that we're going to have a look at the, some of the research around domestic violence. We're going to be looking at the new State of the Nation report and then we're just going to have a bit of a chat about how we can move that within our settings. OK, so Jan, I'm going to hand over to you, please. Great. Um, well, I think we'll all have been touched by the uh, what happened at Epsom and uh, Epsom College and the horror that this happens could happen to a member of our staff team. Um, and I'm not saying that any work that could have been undertaken in domestic abuse could have changed that outcome. But um, I did think there was a moment where we should uh, promote a guide that um, I wrote in 2020 with a member of Farrer and Co solicitors, where we looked at um, what employers can do if a member of staff is experiencing domestic abuse. Um, I'm really keen that we've got an opportunity to promote it and there will be a link to it. The guide's quite simple. Um, and it takes people through step by step and it talks, explains domestic abuse, government definition and the impact on victims. So there is a um, if you are not up to date with um, information around the prevalence of domestic abuse, then you, that would be quite useful for you and, and promoting it certainly within your your uh, your schools and academies. Um, it also explains why it's a key issue for employers, uh, including the impact on the worker who's the victim and their performance. There's a cost element in terms of output. There's the impact on co-workers in terms of uh, the performance within what within school. But there's also that personal, terrible personal story and the impact when things go badly wrong that it can have across the whole of your institution. Uh, within it, we com consider complex scenarios of when abuse enters a workplace, whether it be a school or wherever, um, and it gives guidance and implementing a workplace strategy with a, a simple guide for a workplace strategy, um, how you can intervene earlier um, rather than using heavier um, uh, uh, disciplinary or capability procedures that m you may end up going down that route when in fact you should be supporting that member of staff in a much more proactive way and it gives you guidance on receiving how to manage those disclosures risk assessment and the creation of safety plans for your staff um, 
most schools will be very familiar with how we manage high-risk domestic abuse cases because of Operation Encompass now. So you're used to receiving in, uh, requests for information for discussion of cases at Marrick. Um, and you'll be used to sharing that information, but it's suddenly when it's happening within your staff team, we are talking about the unthinkable that our colleagues could be living with domestic abuse. And if we talk about one in three, um, female members of the population experiencing domestic abuse at some point across their life and one in six men, then there are going to be some teachers within that group. So it's a hard thing for us to share with our, uh, uh, our colleagues and our employer, but it's critical that people do because they can be protected. So within the guide, there's lots of really good practical examples of what you can do. Um, and I think having somebody within um, your HR team uh, or a bursa trained to recognise and respond to domestic abuse is an essential for any organisation, any school. Um, there's lots of really good simple examples, so I would like to encourage you to look at that guide and to make sure that you've got a workplace policy and that you've got the support in place um, so that if at any point any of you've got any concerns about another member of staff, we act early and we act quickly. Absolutely. Do you know, and I think that schools are so are so heightened to look for those um, symptoms that for parents coming in for domestic abuse, that sometimes you don't even think about that it could be affecting your staff. Yeah. I think that, you know, you're so focused on, on the children that you're you're with and the same for any sector, really, that's that's working with children. You're so focused on on the children and their families that you you almost become blind to the people that you're working with, don't you? And it's that classic statement uh, when you're looking at safeguarding and looking after the children is you've got to have looked after yourself first. It's a sort of first aid principle of you need to be healthy and safe yourself before you can help others. And I think that's a really important part of those school leadership teams um, looking carefully at how they support staff you know, in this in all the sorts of areas. But I think in particular this one heightened, as you say recently, so that the staff can be be able to support their own children, the, the students in the school. So it is, you know, in a sense, it's one removed, but it is absolutely it's a foundation stone for child safeguarding as well, is that we're looking after our, stu our staff. Well, I ran for 10 years I ran a multi-agency domestic abuse unit and we every week would have referrals on professionals. Some of them were midwives, some of them were health visitors, some of them were teachers, some of them were architects, some of them ran um, huge organisations. Nobody was immune and that's the one thing about domestic abuse. No one is, no one is immune from it. It's not to do with poverty, it's not to do with um, lack of education. I, I've had professionals say to me, um, but it shouldn't happen to people like me. And it's that disbelief that we have and we all, we need to suspend that disbelief. And, you know, we're asking teachers to talk a lot about relationships and sexual healthy relationships now, aren't we, and coercive control. And we might be asking somebody who's living in that situation to be to be educating our young people with it. Well, we shouldn't be putting people in that position and we've just got to be alive to it. And we know that domestic abuse is a lagging indicator on austerity. Um, we know we're in 
the the degree of austerity that we're in now domestic abuse is is happening it is escalating and i think their awareness is there and particularly through covid we learned that you know teachers were in a, a position where they were were seeing into people's homes and they were picking up those issues and we were leaving children in that situation but just because you're a teacher or a leader within a school it doesn't mean you're immune Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, it uh, It reminds me when it was lockdown, there was a really big um, highlight on domestic abuse and there was um, hand signals that were happening, weren't there, for, for you to be able to communicate people. And I, I, I believe that it was you put you as you were talking, you put your thumb down and you went like that. And I thought that, that was a really good thing, but it does seem to have petered off since we've we've come out of lockdown and actually you know it's it's not going to have, have stopped just because we're we're not all at home anymore and coming into work work can be a safe place for people and we can make the working environment a safe and secure environment and it's not just because they're living with domestic abuse it may be that they're separated from a partner and that ongoing post-separation harassment is something they're living with they're just they've normalized to it and victims do you learn to live with this you learn to manage your way around it and actually what we need to say is that is going to impact on your ability to deliver what we're expecting you to deliver and the likelihood is you're going to be concerned about somebody's performance in some way or other so think domestic abuse when you think there's a performance issue just be open to that wonderful thank you so much jan and um, we're going to go and move over to you luke to talk about the state of the nation report that came out in december wasn't it I yes think? that's right and um this is something you know the whole point of this podcast is really sort of to have read and to flag up documents for for all the safeguarding leads so that you know it's easy for you to get hold of them and um the link will be just like with jan's document to state of the nation 2022 children and young people's well-being um and it's a really really useful document and in particular i'm just going to take you through just pick out a handful of, of key things that struck me as really interesting um, for me as a safeguarding lead. But in particular, what it does is allow you to contextualise what's happening in your school. So in the same way as when you look at academic leaders in the school, they've got reams of data where they're comparing you know, progress, uh, academic progress, um, exam results to what's happening around the, the country. It struck me that this document will allow you as a pastoral leader to say, well, where does my school fit in with this? Now, is mine an outlier? Is mine, oh, no, you know, my, there's bullying happening, but anyway, at least it's the same amount of as, as in other schools. So I think it, the, the, lots of things which are very, very useful as a document. So let me just first of all you know, pick out a, a few really useful things. Um, the first thing that struck me as very useful is it focuses quite a lot on statistics, but it also takes the opportunity that the government has clearly done a fairly wide ranging surveys where they've talked to a lot of young people. And what it really does very well, and it could be the basis of assemblies that you give, or indeed talking at the other end of things to your governing body about why the, your school is going to you know, have certain focuses in PSHE. Um, it's talked to the students and come up with you know, a list of things which are on students' minds. So the war in Ukraine, the cost of living crisis, concerns about environment and climate change, not things that I suspect you no know, pastoral leaders are going to be really surprised about, 
But again, the fact that you can say it's not just me thinking this, but I think headmaster, I think governors, that we should have more time spent on this, that we should put more resources into looking at you know, supporting families you know, with worries about the cost of living because it's a national issue. So that's the first thing which I think is really uh, important and useful. Secondly, I'm just going to go on to a few of the, the, the bits of data which I think are, are really interesting. And the first one of these is, excuse me, I'm reading off uh, the my, my little script here, um, is that there's been a real focus when they talk to students about the idea of behavioural issues have remained fairly constant, but that emotional difficulties have increased. And I think that's something which now I found in my school, but I think a lot of schools find is actually behaviour. You know, that post-COVID sort of splurge of people just not knowing how to be in the playground and you know, getting into fights and things like that because they've just been at home for a couple of years. That's died down. But I think what the, the really important point this document uh, makes is that those emotional difficulties underneath, and I think picking out what Jan's point was, that lag, if you like, of bad thing happens, and then a bit of a while later, the emotional difficulties come out. And that's exactly what we're saying. Um, and so a really striking figure that says that um, in 2021, one in six 17 to 19 year olds had some sort of emotional difficulty. It's now risen to one in four. So one in six was a lot. But the idea that really, you know, even as a pastoral leader myself, who is seeing what life is like on the ground, the idea that across the country, one in four young people have, are having an emotional difficulty, you know, just goes to show the huge challenge that we're facing you know, in society, let alone schools. Um, but again, when you're talking to your governors, when you're talking about your strategic plan for you know, the next year, uh, that's something that it's a good thing to be able to say. You now, we as a school need to respond to this much broader, you know, across multi-academy trusts, those sort of things. We need to respond uh, to this. Another thing that really resonated with me was um, a contrast, because it divides up, you know, boys, girls, SEN issues, all the different sort of cohorts within society. And it's interesting that they see a clear gap between boys feeling safe in school and girls feeling safe in school. And in some ways that's positive, boys are feeling safe and happy in school, but there's also the flip side of that. It's absolutely clear from this report that girls feel less safe in school. And again, when you're talking with students, so Andrew Tate has been much in the news, and that's really created a bit of a backlash. So for example, in the Times recently, there've been articles focusing on the fact that boys are giving, being given a hard time because they, maybe if they've made some mistake at a party, they'll be in trouble. But again, if a school wants to talk to their parents or the student body and say, well, hang on a minute, what's the general picture? The fact that a statistical sort of sample of students from across the country, girls are just having a tougher time in school. And that's seen from student voice across the country, I think is a really powerful um, bit of information you can say we're not just launching a witch hunt we're not just trying to be difficult it is just factual that on the ground girls are finding it more difficult emotionally in school and what and whatever else happening that level of support that is needed is something we need to do so i think that bit of information fits very sensibly in with the broader discussion that schools are having about consent misogyny um ideas like that 
Now, I won't lie, there are some elements of this very long report which do slightly state the obvious. So, for example, there's a, a several pages where they say that students with SEN have more difficulty concentrating in class. So there are bits <laughs> of this where you're just going to go, yes, I know that. But I think it's those bits that are perhaps pulling out um, uh, more sort of uh, interesting figures which, which are particularly uh, interesting. Another thing that I'm just going to do is do that uh, tricky thing of trying to share a screen when on a Teams call and um, show you how you might use this document uh, when you're putting together a strategic plan for your school and talking to governors. So let me just click on share. Now the computer's now having a think about it. Um, there we go. And here you can see, this is just a fairly random page I've pulled out, but here you've got um, some very useful statistics about uh, bullying. Percentage of primary age children reported as being bullied, and here you can see it's the total and then divided up by male, female, SCN, FSM, all the these different categories, and again, the same in secondary school. And what it strikes me could be a really useful way of discussing what's happening in your school is that you can, if you like, benchmark what's happening. And particularly if you're using um, an online system to catalogue uh, pastoral concerns, um, you can actually say over the course of this year, no, we've had this number of children having a bullying concern. You know, we're on, you know, you could, your total might be on 30%. And so you might say to the governors, oh, we, we seem rather high. We need to actually do something about this. You might break it down and think, actually, our, uh, you know, ethnic minority bullying reports are considerably higher than the national average. And so having that ability to benchmark using this document and when you look at the document, there are all sorts of other different statistics it looks at. It will give you that sense of being able to talk to your parents, governors, the student, the school community and be able to say, actually, it's not just that I'm sort of making a stab in the dark about what's happening here. I can see that in my school, this thing is not as good or indeed celebrating success. You can say to your governors, oh, this is fantastic. Our school is on 15 percent. It's uh, much lower than the national average. So on both sides, and I'll just stop sharing my screen now. Um, it's a document which I think can be really helpful to you as a school leader to benchmark and look around at the rest of the country and see what's happening. So follow the link, have a look yourself. As I said, there are a number of bits which are you know, stating what might describe as the obvious, but there are also some very interesting elements to it. Um, and I think in particular that idea of planning ahead, which I'm always so keen to do in safeguarding and pastoral care, particularly with resources getting tighter. How can you justify, let's invest this much in you know, a new school counsellor, let's do this to support the students. And if you've got the facts behind you, that's going to help when you're asking for your money uh, when you're coming to the next year's budget. So hopefully have helped pastoral leads. Well, it's really true that, isn't it? Because in my world, which is more of a policing world, I would say resources follow risk. So if you can demonstrate that you've got, and it might be that your reporting is very low, and uh, you're saying the national average is high. Well, actually, that might be, it means that you're yes, not you, doing enough. Yes, I mean, it's both you. sides to it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can make the argument for more resources, for focused, targeted resources, because it's a resources follow risk has always been the mantra in my world. And yes. rather than randomly allocating resources because somebody thinks this is a good idea or because somebody's very good at making a case, Yes. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's always tempting, I think, for schools because the academic side of things, you know, does in a sense rightly come first. But they're always able to say, you know, look at this percentage drop. 
Look at it, it's very, yeah. they can make a very convincing case. I think if we in the pastoral world can talk in that sort of language, that again can really help to support our case. Mm. I, I mean, just even looking at the percentages there when we were looking at, at bullying in primary school, that's a quarter of the school is yeah. saying that they that they feel that they're being bullied. I mean, that's a shocking statistic. Although, and again, to cite turn to what I said, what I tend to look at with my senior team to increase the number of bullying concerns reported. And the hope would be when you've got 22% is that every time you know, somebody gets shoved over in the playground, right, what are we doing to stop that? So your hope is if you've got a you know, bigger percentage, your hope is that schools are being really rigorous. And of mm -hmm. course, you know, as a school inspector myself, if I go into a school and they say, oh, they don't really have bullying, it's yeah. that classic red <laughs> alert sign of, oh dear, there's no way that you have hundreds of children on site and nobody's <laughs> doing anything untoward at any time. So I think Jan's right, that sort of using statistics with a sort of a sense of, you know, those both sides of, uh, of what it can show you. I'm really interested in, the, you know, your reference to Andrew Tate, because for me, and it kind of, you know, I, I see myself as somebody who's very interested in these issues and have led a cultural review into following on everyone's invited in a in a large school. Uh, you know, he came kind of onto my horizon quite late. Young people were talking about him long before I, as an interested adult, was aware of him. And I, I can see that we just haven't got a coherent kind of counter narrative because his arguments and, you know, the incel arguments are very uh, are expertly crafted and designed to target 13 year olds, 14 year olds, 15 year olds are skillfully done. And I feel like we haven't kind of caught up as professionals to have a counter narrative because that everyday misogyny, the little things, the little things that we need to pick up on that kind of zero tolerance culture, whether it be around, whether it is around bullying, around race or around gender or uh, around sexuality, whatever um, the issue is that underlies it. We need to have a kind of clear message, don't we, all of us? And somehow we haven't we haven't got there yet, even though He's out there now, isn't he? He's very yes. public. Yes, yeah. I think that idea of creating a narrative to to challenge that is something which yeah. is a very, really interesting one and uh, something we need to talk about in the next podcast, Vicky. Yeah, I'd yeah, like to see a script that everybody, whatever your level of understanding, a simple script, because what we found with domestic abuse is when we ask the same question over and over again, every different professional asks the same question what happens is the victim then begins to give you a fuller picture so what they wouldn't have said to a uh, one person they would say to another and i bet the same is around bullying so if we all had a script that was simple that was a, a powerful counter narrative to these arguments I I'm, I'm sure we begin to layer up a better understanding of the the risks that we face and that children are living with very good point. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for for uh, joining us today on Safeguarding News. It has been fantastic to to listen to you, but I'm afraid that is all that we've got time for. But it looks like we've already set up our next one, Luke. So. Yeah. So we don't start with next time. Very good. <laughs> That's, right. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, everybody, for for watching, and we shall see you on the next episode. Goodbye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.